everybody. Welcome to Losing Your Mind with Chris Cosentino. I'm your host, Chris Cosentino. We are here to talk about people that inspire. And all my guests are inspiring in so many different ways. And I'm really looking forward to digging deep into how they got to where they are, to the top of their game, how hard they've worked, how much they've given up, and how they're giving back. So without further ado, here's our next guest. So folks, today I have Chef Jonathan Sawyer from Kindling in Chicago. Jonathan and I go way back. We've known each other for many, many years. We have competed against each other on Next Iron Chef. Uh, actually, excuse me, Iron Chef, when he was Chef Michael Simon's sous chef. We have been at multiple events all around the country. I am beyond excited uh, to catch up. Um, Jonathan, welcome. It's great to see you. Christy, great to see you. Thank you for including me in your wonderful podcast interview series. It's uh, I'm really excited to to spill some beans here, to spill some tea. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jonathan, you and I go way back, and I think we've we've cooked together so many different times. And I think the thing that's really I think is really interesting is your history in this industry and how you got to where you are today and you know at kindling now um but like I, I think it'd be really interesting for people to understand like where you started and and what really got you going in this business like what made you say i want to go home and smell like a goat every day after work <laughs> yeah i mean i think the 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 story is you know i don't know like a lot of stories right you know there's a there's an initial passion that comes from your upbringing and your family and me specifically, mom, grandma, not coming from means and really sort of embracing um, what we could have whenever we could have it, right? And then there's a reality of getting a job when you're 13 in a, in a Tex-Mex restaurant called The Mad Cactus and you just instantaneously are like, you know, like, I'm in fucking love. This is it. The the adrenaline, the the endorphin rush, the burns, the pain, the pressure, the success, the 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 feeling of a of a completed service, and uh, and I was thirteen. I lied up, lied on my application to get a job. When I was thirteen. I said I was fourteen. Um, I did the sort of at IHOP. What what was your job there? What was your what was the role there? Well, I started as a dishwasher, but I made it to to grill cook. Uh, eventually through proving that I could uh, uh, dip ice cream balls in uh, cornflakes for French fried ice cream and uh, <laughs> deep fry 20 gallon buckets of, uh, of tortilla chips, actually trash cans. We, we sold so many, we, we filled up four trash cans, four 50 gallon trash cans of tortilla chips every fucking day. <laughs> it's, I did this. I lied to get my first job yep. and I'm dishwasher at IHOP. So I yeah. totally know the drill uh yeah. wanting that and watching right like watching the 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 hum of that kitchen and that magic was just did they take advantage of you like they totally hosed me they were like oh this guy's totally interested in what we're doing let's give him all our work too as we go out oh yeah absolutely <laughs> and i took it i was a i was a the willing plonger who took it all oh from yeah him, right yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah 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 coming tomorrow sure 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 coming early no problem don't clock in yeah oh yeah i won't clock in what time you want me to clock, you want me to clock in at five I'll clock it at five. Oh, you want me to go split the wood with that axe that looks like it's broken? Got it. No problem, Tom. I got it. I'm going to do it right now. Oh, you're going to get drunk and drive me in your truck to the rib burn off? No worries. This looks great. Let's do it. I'm 13. I fucking love it. Oh. But I think sort of, right, that's that, that spark, right, that you felt at IHOP, that I felt at Mad Cactus, that other people felt at other restaurants throughout their childhood. There's their... There's a draw to it that's instinctual, right? And I don't know, my therapist and I got our own theories on those that are great at hospitality, but it it fit my personality, right? I was using both sides of my brain. I was active the whole time and I was solving problems like a la minute. So I went to Houlihan's, real big step up there. Got, learned how to stuff the mushrooms, learned that secret recipe. And I, I ended up going on their corporate team and opening up three units for them in high school. And that was talk when I really fell in love. Structure, right? Let's let's go, let's talk about that. Cause that is yes. really, you know, anybody who says that working in these fast casual chains, um, 
And actually, Hands isn't even considered fast casual. I would consider that a more of a dining restaurant where you sit. It's like there is infinite yeah. structure built into those restaurants, which in turn has helped you to this day. Absolutely. Yeah, those training manuals still affect the way that I write training manuals. And the idea of bringing leadership, you know, cherry, cherry picking it from units around you for each individual station and valuing all of them equally from prep to dish to expo to stocker to deep fry to garmage all of those stations had a leader i was a garmage leader and then a deep fry leader <laughs> my uh, my couple of corporate openings but still as a minor and you know uh, there's not you know I, i've done 24 openings now I, i'm sure you've done equal if not more uh, and there's something magic about that energy of like you know planning it seeing it, building it, breaking it, hiring for it, training for it, and then opening your doors. That's just, it's an amazing uh, uh, um, opera, right? I'm not trying to be, be fucking weird about it, but there's so much that goes into before you even pick up the hammer. And then to see it all come together is so beautiful. And it's such a chaotic, you know, backbreaking first quarter and then your reviews start to come in and there's zero understanding for what you did to get to that point. But that's the beauty of the whole thing. And, and it's, it's, you know, we're, we're in our second quarter now kindling and it's, I started working last July, last June actually on this project. And like all of them, there's like, Oh shit, I forgot to do that. Oh, I, I'm glad I used that manual from over there, but there's, there's, there's something really amazing about an opening that, if you've never done it, you can't really speak to it. And you don't, you'll, and you'll never understand it. You won't. There's, there's an emotional sort of connectivity. Uh, there's, there's a group think sort of opportunity there that's way different than anything else. It's, it's really, I think, an interesting part of what it is. Definitely, our industry is adrenaline driven, right? It has that. I mean, look, it's it. It was the, when we started, it was the last bastion, right? The last pirate ship of places of employment where it was a mixed bag of who you worked with. There was multiple languages going on in the kitchen, multiple styles of people, people from all different ethnicities, uh, financial means and background. Um, I mean, it was, it was awesome, right? It like, was. It, it really opened your eyes to the world because everybody was learning from everybody you know, and um, yeah. whether it was, you know, who was making staff meal, you had a Haitian staff meal, or it was, you know, everything, every day, it was something new, right? And yeah. and that's what, for me, drew me to this business, you know, that that forever education, but doing it with your hands. Yeah. You know, I feel like there's a point you made there too, where it was, uh, it was a meritocracy back then, or it was an informal apprenticeship, you didn't just come in, slap your resume down and say, I'm sous chef, you know, oh. like didn't, didn't fucking matter who you worked for before you stage, you train, you take a position too below where you're going to be. Eventually you work your ass off, you prove your leadership and you're trustworthy. And then you get that position. It's, it's uh, I don't mean to be like, old man, get off my lawn, you know, but there's, but it's okay because we are old guys and my wife says like that all the time. She's like, stop acting like the guy yelling at the kids to get off their lawn. I was like, we don't have a front lawn. We got a sidewalk. I was yeah. like, I can't. <laughs> uh, the restaurant's my front lawn and you, you, you got to get off the kids. I need some <laughs> of the old guys in here. But yeah, I think that there was, you know, uh, I think that there's, it's easy, it's, it's a more clear path if it's an apprenticeship, informal or not, to get to where you are. And that's why when we look at the cooks that we know, and we're not being ageist or anything, but a lot of them are not the youngest people that we know. Uh, and that's the 10,000 hour rules if you're a prescriber to Malcolm Gladwell, or if you're like me and you're just kind of like, eh, I don't cook, you know, I'm not the Jimi Hendrix of the culinary scene, right? My dishes take 50 times to hit the menu the way exactly I want them. And through practice and prototype is where I really achieve my best results. It's not like, oh, fuck, Chris did this razor clam in Saur on, on Next Iron Chef. Uh, <laughs> throwback? I'm oh going to try that. I'm going to nail it the first time. No chance. But after three or Dude, four tries. I never, I will say this to this day. That was 
I was dumbfounded that I actually, because that was the biggest shit show I had ever. And Wiley was like, dude, just think. And like mathematics, all that. I never maybe, he's like, it's 2% of the weight to get you that. And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about, dude? Why can't you just put this and this and it tastes fucking good? No, you got to make it a spuma and the foam. And it just, yeah. that, I can't believe you remember that shit. I didn't fuck. Oh my God, I fell in love with you after that dish. I was like, I'm this guy's gonna, we're gonna be friends. There is no other way. It's happening. Okay. And then you told the story of the lineage of the name of the razor clam. And I was like, wait, he's a nerd too? Okay. It's fucking on. It's over. We just became best friends. He doesn't know it yet. And then we did what six months later. Yes, exactly. I mean, shit. Oh my God. Actually, I do remember that. I came to, I actually came yeah. to Cleve and we cooked together at a bunch we of did. We had so we much did. fun. Yeah. You did a trotter cake. It was delicious. That was so long ago. Oh I remember it. So long ago. So long. Okay. So you're in Hands. You're opening yeah. restaurants as a minor. Let's put that into perspective. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Child labor laws are not being worked here. <laughs> no. I remember when we opened the first Hula Hands that I opened that sort of got me the other two gigs. I was, it was a Wednesday night. I was I had wrestling practice, then I went to work. And then I stayed at work and I didn't tell the boss and they kind of forgot because it was opening and I was there till like 1.30 in the morning. And my mother came up and laced my GM, uh, Dan, um, Tommy Meeker and Dan Lentz, I'll never forget. And she was just, Catholic finger wagging at them. I saw it through the window, through the kitchen, and uh, I never worked past midnight again. That's for sure. <laughs> oh, oh my terrible. god, that's amazing! But, but I, I have my two older brothers. They're both engineers. My dad, you know, wanted me to be an engineer, so I pretended like that was the career I wanted. So I went to college for uh, engineering, and that was really where. I made the conscious decision to make culinary of my future. You know, I was working for a chef that is much like chefs you knew, you know, like a Michelle Richard type, like, uh, you know, never said a nice thing about you once and uh, threw pants at you, but you knew he loved what he was doing and he was one of the best. And um, this chef kind of told me I wasn't bad at cooking once. And I was like, wait, that's code. I know what that means. That means I'm good. You're saying, <laughs> that I meet your standards. And, you know, of course, in the moment, I didn't say shit. I just put my head down and said, yes, chef, we chef. Thank you, chef. You know, and uh, I dropped out of, I dropped out of college and I went to culinary school after that. Um, and this, you know, because we are men of a, of a learned age, this is pre-internet. So when I went to culinary school, I started going to bookstores and libraries and that's when the, uh, that's when the journaling starts, right? Oh. That's when the, you know, one of 500 editions of uh, drawings and recipes and inspirations and prep lists and market lists and uh, how the fuck do I source this horseball uh, uh, knife they test the prosciutto with? I see. Right? Like those are all, yeah. those two shelves are full of yeah. notebooks, but it's yeah. fun. Folks, you can't see behind me. I have my culinary library behind me, but there are two giant shelves stacked very awkwardly <laughs> hundreds of notebooks of varying yeah. size some that fit in the pockets some that don't oh my god we lived we lived lived that way we lived yes. in those... literally how many picking up a jgv book and like writing like like sitting at the bookstore because i wasn't gonna buy it i didn't have any fucking money oh yeah i'd sit there right i'm like okay cook the eggs for 45 minutes double <laughs> boiler Okay, caviar. I've never had caviar before, but someday I'll have that stuff. That looks cool. And then the and then the bookstore owner goes, "Are you gonna buy that book, kid? Not get out of here." <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So that that sort of landed me uh, an internship in Miami, uh, and I worked for Philippe Ruiz de La Palme d'Or, and um, did a hotel stint there, and realized, boy, I, I really may never work at a hotel again. Um, but I'm an idiot and I ended up doing it again. Um, and then I moved to New York and I was, this is uh, where I met Charlie Palmer and really started to get into the structure of a great system and a great mentor. You know, someone whose division of labor allows the ACEs to do what they do great, right? Um, it was also my introduction to the uh, quote unquote French work week. Are you I'm sure you're familiar with the uh, 
five days, uh, six days a week, three out of the four weeks on the month. And on that fourth week of the month, you get one extra day off. And, yes. uh, and uh, they were usually uh, doubles. Yes. Oh, doubles, doubles with a little break in the middle. $27,000 a year living in Manhattan in 2001. Didn't 70% of my income went to rent. The other 30% was like a bus pass. You know, it was it. All gone. And all but meals I loved were it. eaten at the restaurant. Staff meal. Absolutely. 20, 20 to 30 meals of the week, right? Or whatever there are in a week uh, were eaten at the restaurant. You know, Sunday was the only day I had to buy food for myself. It's amazing. Um, so my wife and I sort of got, you know, we dated in high school and she moved to New York and um, we started dating again and we found out we were having our first child uh, catcher. And uh, I told Charlie I wanted to move back to Cleveland to have some more family support. And he introduced me to Mike Simon. Um, Simon and I, both former wrestlers, both, you know, uh, just similar culinarians. We really just fucking got along. I mean, I think our first interview was like three and a half hours. You know, like we just, I just stayed. I didn't leave. I was like, no, this is, this is, this is where I'm going to be. And you, I think you're going to know it. So we, I did a tasting and then we sat down and, I used to smoke cigarettes. We smoked a bunch of cigarettes and we talked shop. And then we talked about wrestlers that we knew. And then, you know, uh, I was with him for half a decade, opened three units for him, some in Cleveland, some in New York. I moved back to New York, um, found out we were having our second child. And then it was, I think, you know, at that point in time, we were getting some notoriety. Simon got his, you know, his, his Iron Chef sort of, Time started. I started sous chefing for him, and I was like, you know, I think it's time for me to move on. And that's when I became an owner owner operator. And uh, and then I was in Cleveland for over a decade. Opened, you know, at one point had more than two hundred employees. You know, seven, six or seven stadium units. A little vinegar company. Wrote a book. Wrote a second book. Some people told me I was good at cooking. Uh, food and wine magazine, etc. Uh, bon Appetit, I'll never, I'll never forget that that year when we were all in Aspen and you won Best New Chef and you and I uh, we were searching for unique beers right yep. to ship home for the restaurant yep. and you had made a dish with milk thistle to make your yes. correct wow and it was so far ahead of what like this was like people hadn't even talked about that kind of stuff yet and and foraging and like you know you had come to california a bunch and you know we'd picked wild fennel together we you'd always go mushroom yeah. hunting and but the fact that you made cheese using milk thistle was as a rennet as a form of mm -hmm. rennet which is the, a old, way. the old way because yep. they used to make cheese without the rennet. So rennet is from the stomach. It's actually a byproduct of, uh, well, it's not a byproduct. They have to extract it from an animal when it's harvested, right? AKA harvest slaughter. So this was your way of making cheese. I would say the old way, or some people would say sustainable, or some people would also use that fancy term of what? Uh, saying it's, it's humane cheese. Yeah, yeah, it's a vegetarian cheese at this Vegetarian point, cheese, right? still using milk, but yeah, <laughs> it doesn't. But it was such an eye opener yeah. and so much fun, and it was rad that day just to walk up and see you there. And you know, Tatiana and I were so psyched. You know that was. Oh, awesome. And you had some vicarious. You had some. You know, Simon and you were, uh, and and you and I were already sort of acquainted. So like there was. I, I could see you looking at me like a big brother and and feeling some of my joy. Right? It was a big and, family. And, it felt like family for all of yeah, us. You know, we yeah. all wanted to see each other succeed, and yep. you know, we always had fun. I think that's a great point too, though. Is that's a very uh, maybe hopefully it's not a forgotten art, but the, the the sea rising and us rising together was a very of our generation sort of way to look at it. It wasn't like how quickly can I take a picture with you and, and grab 10 of your followers? It was more like, how can we be great together in our own places and continue to be great and continue to get those around us and those that graduate from our restaurants to be great. Uh, and there's, you know, uh, there's a, there's a bit of that 
bit of that that's lost in the narcissism of social media and modern internet culture that, you know, I'm not saying it's gone forever. I'm not saying everybody's guilty of it, but there is most certainly a, what you spoke to is one of the first lessons that Charlie Palmer taught me. One of the first lessons that Mike Simon taught me, you know, like you don't got something good to say. You just don't say it a, you know, about your peers and those around you that you want to succeed. You talk about them. You, you proselytize everybody around you to their good ways and to what they've done. Uh, because you know it's the truth and you know that you're going to rise together and you're going to continue to do great things and you're going to push each other to be better because there's a complacency with success that I think you see a lot of times today that the one-trick pony chefs or the one-trick pony restaurants and then it becomes a QSR and then the QSR gets sold to the biggest bidder and then the soul is sucked out of the entire thing that started off as a really great recipe inside of a great kitchen with a great chef at the helm. Um, and it's almost like that's the goal now is to make sure that you're, you know, how how is it scalable? If, I, if it's not scalable, how am I going to get a how am I going to get VC money to grow this bitch? You know, it's just <laughs> a, it's 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 wild. But there was you know there was a romance and an honesty to the way that we operate ourselves and that we do to this day. You know, to, I mean, uh, probably to our own fault, right? Or most certainly to my fault, right? Um, but in that moment, I too, I, I think there's an interesting sort of sub story, you know, food and wine has gone through so many different iterations and so many different, uh, you know, sort of festival, uh, styles, but the food, they put all of us BNCs and, and I, and all of them are great classes, but boy, I had a fucking great class and we reverse each other in that little, in that room on the top of the mountain to see whose dish was the best. And my dish won, my raviolini with milk thistle, curd, ricotta, fiend herbs, and brown butter. You know, still a dish I cook to this day. You know, won the competition. But it was, you know, Alex Seidel and Roy Roy Choi and James Sahibut and um, kind of Missy Robin. I mean, we just had an amazing stacked class. You know, it was like Kate Crater was the, was the, future seer or crystal ball sure fucking nailed it that year well you know what's funny is I, I don't know if you remember this but we were all on the same flight from denver to aspen remember all of us yes Every I didn't single, just, yeah. this was yeah. the funniest moment of the whole trip you missy shibe all of us all yeah. flight, we're all on the same flying tube in the yeah. sky and it Amazing. was awful fucking ride in it was the yeah. worst ride in i'd had in history flying in a small plane i mean it was choppy as fuck and i can't remember who it was but somebody looked over and just goes well if this plane goes down this whole event's fucking over <laughs> <laughs> remember and missy was laughing and somebody's head snapped i'll never yeah. forget the head snap and go that's ah! not funny that's not yes <laughs> Oh my God, it's hysterical. Because that plane, remember we were all yes, dude. I remember, spot. I remember yes. like a roller coaster foot altitude drop instantaneously, and everybody was just like scared. Yeah. Like we're gonna do our best to land in Aspen today, but the winds are <laughs> against us, as you can feel. Hang on, everybody, and I hope you're all wearing your seatbelt. I don't. There, that was the fucking white knuckle flight if i'd ever yeah. been on one yeah <laughs> oh my god i totally forgot about it the weather was crazy yeah oh, that was oh the, that was the funniest shit ever oh my god uh so you know you are now with in chicago you have yep. kindling <laughs> let's talk a little bit about kindling and you know this is a really cool project amazing yeah you are working all on fire i'm 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 super excited yeah i mean uh early on you know my career i was really focused on the my micro regional inspiration a roman restaurant would would never put napoli's uh, mozzarella in it you know i would only use pecorino you know like really drilling in where my wife's family's from in trento or you know, I, I would really like focus on the region and interpret it through the farmers and the restaurants I had. And maybe it was hubris. Maybe it was, you know, just a mission to learn more. But the older I've gotten, the more I've been like, no, I, I just like that recipe. And I don't care if it was from when I was in Japan or when I was in England or when I was living in Rome. It, 
I gotta have a narrative tied all together so it doesn't feel like Jonathan Sawyer's Cheesecake Factory, right? So the the fire for me, especially over the past four of my last five restaurants, it's all in live fire. The fire is that sort of narrative binder for me, and I feel like there can be a an authenticity right to the dish and to the inspiration of the dish, uh, avoiding words like fusion and tradition at all possible places because who am I to comment on either of those? I'm just a cook who was inspired and wants to be reverential to where I learned it, right? And and in though in that vein and in those dishes, I I think that the fire has allowed me to have restaurants that are super interesting to a massive amount of people, right? Is it is it fine dining? No. Is it casual in dress? Sure. Is there flavors there, especially for those that are looking for it that are singular to our kitchen and our restaurant? One hundred percent. But we just don't have the braggadocio anymore to just, you know, put that verbiage on the menu. It's more, you want to you want to get conversational. I'm gonna come to your table and we're gonna we're gonna dive as deep as 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 long as you want to into the ash roast, the beet salad, or the, you know, three day process that yields our pastrami short rib with koji and smoke and pellicle and Maillard and all those, you know, nerd terms uh, from from foodies the, from chef corners that we like to talk about, but. I also want someone to come into this building, right? We're talking about the Willis Tower, the Sears Tower, uh, top five busiest in America, and just sit down and have a burger and be like, damn, I've never had a wood-fired burger that tasted like that before. And they don't need to know that the beef is from over here and we get our grind six days a week and we run out almost every single day. That that doesn't matter to them. They just need to know that when, they're, when their bill is paid that they had a burger that is uh, singular to this building. And and I take a little bit of pride and honor in that. I, I think a younger version of me would be like, you know, who gives a fuck about a burger being great, right? But I feel like there's expressions of it, especially the way that the hardware we use, the wood fire that we use, and I'm not making the burger the singular thing, but if you pay attention to process and you pay attention to sourcing, the minutia of details that go into that really yield a different bite of food for the simplest food you could ever imagine. And I think that's that's really interesting because it's a it's a point that I've tried to make with younger cooks. You know, to give you an example, I had a young man who reached out to me looking for advice. And he says, I work at a pizza restaurant. And I was like, great. So, but I'm the kid told me he was bored. And I said, okay, mm-hmm. so tell me, tell me. What's your hydration level on the dough? Well, I don't right. know. What's what's <laughs> dough, what's the dough ball weight that you use for your for your pies? I mean, do you have multiple different sizes or one size? He goes, only oh, you only make one size pizza. So what's the dough ball weight? I don't know. What kind of flour are you using? I don't know. Do you use a biga? I don't know. I was like, so you're bored. Why don't you pay attention to really what's going on there? Like, yeah, if you're gonna make something, make it the best it can be in every yeah. aspect. Make the best fucking pizza in the world and it's the same thing you're saying here it's like you're going to make the burger you're going to go above and beyond that every single component of that burger where the meat is sourced how it's ground what the bun is what are the condiments how it's cooked how it's served because it's it's about making it the best it can be whether it's the simplest thing or the most technique driven thing you want it to be delicious yeah that gets forgotten i I hate hearing that i'm bored Uh. It's so funny. The first thought is, as I hear you, A, I can empathize with that uh, uh, sort of, hey, I want some advice. And then just zero curiosity from the person who wants that advice. But the boredom that they're expressing is uh, uh, only satiated by entertainment, not by education. And I can't offer that to you. I'm not here to, I'm not here to ride around on a unicycle and juggle for you. I would love to talk to you about how long I think a, a, a Neapolitan fermentation versus a New York fermentation should go and what the flour should be and what the hydration on a long noodle that's extruded versus a short noodle that extruded is. But you got to take that first step before we can hold hands. You know, you got you to gotta ask a couple of questions, you know, and, and I don't, I don't know if it's societal or if it's generational, but there is a lack of it. There's a lack of curiosity to to to, to the how and why this works um, that I see uh, inside of the young cooks and uh, young chefs that I hire for sure. But I think it's really interesting, you know, when I was talking to Ryan Lachine, 
And he made a really good point. You know, us as the older guys need to evolve, right? We yeah. came up in a different way. We read books. We had friends that visited restaurants. Get a copy of the menu for me. I want to see what yeah. they You couldn't see anything on the internet. Now, the education is at everybody's fingertips, right? They've got YouTube. There's Instagram people. There's They can follow somebody and learn stuff. And I think that that's, and I think Ryan is right. Like, we can't be Luddites. We can't not recognize their new form of learning right we right. address it in a positive way because it is great right like yeah you want to teach somebody to make something sometimes you know it's like you can show them but it's also like hey watch this if this may work easier for you watch this yeah and i think it's it's a hard dynamic but with so much resources at your fingertips right now it yeah. is it is amazing it's yeah. absolutely amazing right now what you can learn like yeah and, and I'll say something, pizza, right? Let's just use pizza, right? You've got Chris Bianco. You've got Anthony Mangieri. You have Tony Gemignani. And then you've got that crazy pizza book that uh, ideas in food, just, just like, but all that's yeah. online. It's all accessible. These people have information. They're talking about it in the world. Yeah. I think us as the older guys who live through notebooks and writing recipes and I still draw stations. I still draw dishes. Yeah. But that's to. my way. But it, my way isn't always the right way. No, and I don't even know if it's servicing me the same way that it used to, to be honest, right? When you talk about efficacy inside of recipe writing or menu engineering, my process might probably is longer than, you know, uh, someone who's more acclimated or someone who's less uh, Ludite, a Luddite inclined, right? Um, but I think you're right, though. Who the, the adjustment to the workforce has got to be made, and it's got to be made by us. It's not their responsibility to figure out what makes us proud of them. It's their responsibility to to be themselves. And I think just in if we back it up one step and and we try to be comparative, they're just as they're just as interested as we were they just haven't taken the same steps that we took and if we could push them that direction and it has to be through youtube or instagram stories or whatever then it is and then it may yield different results but with the same sort of level of care and eventually the same level of understanding i mean yeah we were definitely at a different point in our life and we 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 wanted it, but we had to find it and ask for it. And they're asking for it too. It's just, yeah. Know, said, how do we present it to them in a way that they're excited to receive it? Yeah, it's got to be digestible for them. I agree. For sure. Yeah. You know, let. I think there's a lot of a lot of different things that have have transpired along the years, and I think, you know, um, being in Chicago is a big change for you. Huge. 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 Yeah. Long overdue, much appreciated um, for my time in Cleveland. But, you know, my wife and I lived in many cities before our family started. And then your family starts and you kind of lose track of who you were in your relationship and who you are as a person. You know, I mean, maybe we're gypsies, maybe we're nomads. I don't know. But like, I know that every three years we moved, no matter what city we were living in. And you know, I lived in Rome and I lived in Trento and I lived in Miami and New York and Pittsburgh and like, there's still so many other cities I wanted to live in and I still want to live in. So, um, you know, there was this, there was this blessing and curse of being successful early as an owner operator that I think, uh, took me a long time, um, to sort of look back and want to change it. Right. You, as the water temperature raises slowly, you don't realize that you're boiling and then you're all of a sudden 35 and looking back or 37 or 43 or 45 or whatever age it is. And you're like, hmm, I'm not young anymore. Right. And, and I'm very proud of who I am and what I've done and what I've raised and my two children and my wife and all the young culinarians I've had. But I'm not happy right now. And I got to make that change. And for me, that's kind of been like a, I don't know, five, five, six year journey, you know, and I've always been someone who kind of believes in therapy and sort of 
wants to evolve as a human, not just a forever learner and a nerd who wants to sort of understand uh, hydration of everything, et cetera, or fermentation of everything, but internally and emotionally as well. You know, I'm not the easiest or I wasn't, and maybe I'm still not the easiest person to understand. And that's wrapped up in, you know, uh, trauma and uh, failure and addiction and alcoholism and a bunch of shit that I'm just starting to unravel and be comfortable with now and be vulnerable with now. And I'm, I'm finding the level of sort of happiness that I have and satiation that I have now is, is so much greater than anything, any moment I've had in my life, right. To, to be able to wake up every day and, and feel good and be proud of where you are is something that's really difficult. It's so easy uh, to understand and so obvious, but it's really difficult to achieve. Um, and, you know, I think I text you, I'm a fucking mess in progress. And I, and I meant it, you know, I'm, I'm now, you know, 11 months sober and you're the first person. And this is the first place I publicly talked about it. All those that are close to me know, you know, and hearing you tell your story, uh, listening to Philip on here and, Knowing that um, uh, maybe there's someone, maybe there's a version of me in this generation that's looking for a mentor or a hero um, who isn't uh, who isn't lying about everything, who isn't hiding all their problems, who isn't pretending like everything is vacations and 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 fucking lollipops. Um, maybe I can maybe I can affect them positively because because if you if you go back and look at when we were raised my heroes were fucking criminals and drug addicts, right? I mean, like, first bag of weed, I bought from a chef. First bag of Coke, bought it from a chef. First drink, got it from a GM. Like, I'm not blaming us. I'm not blaming Tony Bourdain's first book. I'm not blaming Hunter S. Thompson or the Electric Kool-Aid Acid Test, but I read those things like they were a textbook for how I was supposed to be the coolest, hardest-working, baddest motherfucker in the kitchen ever. And it took... Uh, it took a life of, of, of you know, uh, 11s and 1s, as I like to say, right? Like extreme happiness and memories and extreme depression and isolation and failure for me to realize that, like, man, there's, 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 there's something extraordinary in a life that's just ordinary. And, and I can do that. And it's just, it's all on me to sort of make that decision. So, you know, over this sort of five-year time period that I'm sort of talking about here, I, I dabbled with it. You know, I had a eight-month stint of total sobriety, and then my father died, and forget about it. It was just, y'all can't see what I'm doing right now, but it's, imagine a roller coaster is my hand, and it's going down, it's going below the surface to the lowest low you could imagine. And for me, that was all just hiding from uh, the emotions of losing a parent where there was a lot of unsolved unrequited, ununderstandable emotions that I didn't have the people or the process to talk about. And so I fucking drank it and snorted it and smoked it to a place where I didn't have to feel it. And uh, that's not the way that you deal with trauma. That's not the, day, the way you deal with loss or failure, you know? Um, and as, you know, most certainly not an expert in the subject of sobriety or evolution or therapy. I, I feel like I am in a place now where I'm way more comfortable being vulnerable with those that I know, and I'm ready to be vulnerable with those that I don't know in hopes that somebody doesn't pick up the straw, right? Or pick up the drink or think that not even, I actually don't mean that because I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to, to talk down to those that can do it. There's, 90% of the population can do it and put it down. Like to me, the idea of just as simple as like not finishing a drink, it's just unfathomable. It really is. Like I watch my wife and she'll just have a drink, take a sip and then be like, yeah, I'm done. It just, that never crossed my mind for, for 27 years, I don't know, maybe longer, 27 years. It just never crossed my mind. But don't forget, we have always worked in an industry of absolutes. Yes. Right. You finish the dish. You finish yeah. the day. You finish yeah. strong. Right. And I think, yeah. you know, it's knowing the moment. But also, I think the biggest part of what you're saying right now is that it's okay to ask for help. 
Yes. It's okay to reach out to a friend. It's okay to reach out just in general. And I think that is the hardest step, that moment that you can say, you know, I, I need something and I don't know what it is that I need. Yeah. Can you let me bend your ear? And I think the most important thing is that when someone reaches out to whoever it is, stop what you're doing and listen. Yeah. Because not stopping and not listening can have a long-term detrimental effect. Boy, that's the truth. And and when you say it in such a succinct way, there's a there's an amazing uh I have more friends now. And listen, we've always we're friendly guys, we're gregarious, we get along with everybody. But those were single serving, single serving friendships that I didn't curate for the right reasons. And I didn't I didn't water those plants enough as I should, right? But now I'm at a place where I pick up the phone every day and I talk to one of 15 people or 15 of 15 people. And then I've started to go back in my phone and start to call people uh, that I haven't talked to in a while. And there's an amazing epidemic of loneliness, specifically male adult loneliness that affects your, your lifespan, your livelihood, not just your happiness, but literally how long you live, how They've proven that if you walk up a hill with a friend, it looks smaller than it does when you walk up the hill by yourself. That's scientifically proven, right? The age, you can debate, but some seven to 17 years less if you're lonely. Um, and there, while you're making reconnections with your friends, sober or not, you know, culinary or not, there's there's just an amazing transformation that happens inside of you and inside of them that you can't really, I can't put words to it, but I, I used to, especially in my addict and alcoholic days, think that I had no friends and that I was my only friend, right? But I pick up my phone now and I look at the hundreds of contacts I have there and the majority of them will pick up because they know that uh, they know that I'm genuinely a good person. And they may have seen me in a bad time, right? Or maybe they saw me in a bad time and I hit it and they have no idea what struggle I was going through. But that phone call, even if it's 15 seconds, even if it's 15 minutes, means so much to me and to them that your day is changed. And if you if you change your day, day after day, then you change your week. If you change your week, then you change your month. If you change your month, then you change your life, right? Uh, a pendulation is, a, is, is, of course, a part of forming new habits and evolving as a human, but like, you gotta, you gotta start somewhere and you gotta be confident and comfortable with that starting place. Well, I think, I don't know if you remember, but I do. When, <laughs> when my shit hit the fan, you called me. Yeah. And you offered to run my restaurant so I could go get help. I just got goosebumps. Yeah. Because I was at the bottom. Yeah. I'll never forget that. Oh, my God. Yeah. First call. I did, I did forget it until just now, Chrissy. Oh my God. It was like boom, instantaneous. Yeah. That video hit the wire and you called. Oh my God. Time. You were like, do you need help? Do you need me to come? Do you need a break? What do you need? Yep. Yeah. You know, it it made a difference. God, I'm glad it did. Because I don't think people realize how hard it can be. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard. You know, whether it's anxiety, depression, addiction, yeah. Yeah. the conversation needs to happen and it needs to be heard. And it's not fun. Let's be fucking honest. It's not fun. And it's not destigmatized yet. We're no. getting there. We can no. use those words out loud, but 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 watch how quickly uh, a sponsor or a less uh, evolved human being runs away from the opportunity to invest in someone like me who talks like this or someone like you who talks like that. They I fucking it, run away. I think it's interesting because, you know, we don't, we consistently say, what happened? Oh my God, what happened to your arm? You broke your arm or dude, that cut was so bad. But nobody says, 
nobody understands because it's not visual. It's not, yeah. it's not, it does, it's not a tactual thing that yeah. people feel comfortable to understand. Like, you know what? I have a chemical compound that my body does not produce, which doesn't allow my brain to function properly. You can't see that. Right. Yep. So people don't resonate with it and they're just like, he's fucking crazy. I can't deal with him. Because they miss, they oversimplify what is exactly as you said. It's it's a it's a chemical uh, lack of or excess inside of our bodies that doesn't allow our brains to function on the same way that other people's do. So it is uh, 100% tangible, scientifically verifiable and curable, especially over regular practice and medication. But they don't look at it like a broken arm. They look at it as this invisible thing that will forever be a part of uh your failures and most certainly it is and it's a part of my success but there's uh there's zero people in this world that got it all figured out you know and i just think it's a and i definitely think that there's a component of social platforms that is exacerbating this problem there's fomo how many folks are out there when was the last time you saw somebody fucking cleaning the grease trap in their restaurant on social media? <laughs> when was the last time right. you saw somebody fix yeah. the toilet or changing light bulbs or, you know, nobody because no. nobody wants to show that part of the, the difficult part of ownership of restaurant running of being in the dish pit. You know, that's part of it. That's part of what it is. What you see is the glamor and the glitz and it creates, <laughs> right? I'm going to post a video of a PL where we miss our food cost by a half a percent. And it puts us in the red and everyone's fucking jobs at risk because of it. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the sexy part of restaurant running. But that's those are the truths, right? These are the truths. I know. And it's really I funny know. because I talked, you know, I, I it, it's just what it is. And it's just. Yeah. Everybody's trying now to outdo each other and be better in a in a world of 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 social media. And it's like, look, you and I are just as much to blame. We post pictures, we do stuff, yeah. right? It's because it's part of marketing and who we are. But also, like, I don't know. It's just a it's a it's a it's a necessity and an evil at the same time. I think you're right. Continue that, right? It started from the beginning. What was for us initially uh, a way to get inspiration more quickly became a full-time job for us, then became a full-time job for us and a team, then became a necessity, and you're failing without it. Well, you know what's funny? Social media was the first way for chefs to control their own media. To not have to be reliant on publications and critics and journalists. It was a way for us to timestamp dishes and collaborate with people in other parts of the world. Right? Think about that. Like it was like, oh, well, these people don't like what I do or these journalists don't want to write about it. So like, boom, here it goes. And then something goes viral. And then people still really are paying attention. Like that was a a unique methodology for restaurants and chefs to share their constantly changing menus, their new food, because at that time it wasn't fast enough. Media wasn't fast enough. If we were changing that fast or what came in season, it's like, bam, look what I found at the farmer's market. Look at this. It's on the menu tonight. Boom. Check this out. You know, and it's just, I mean, time stamping a dish is such a brilliant expression of what it was for us in the beginning too especially being in a mid-major market like the city of cleveland i used it all the time for that now some of my dishes got stolen and i still haven't talked about them but you know that's just been some people got, got viral from a dish they ate at my restaurant or i cooked in their restaurant in a pop-up and then it ended up in the on the front page of their LA Times review and they still never gave me credit for it. And I harbored no hard feelings and I'm still not going to mention their names, but I did for a long time, look at my marketplace and look at social media as an opportunity for me to know for myself, like, no, no, that may be more famous with him, but that's mine. And 
I may not be the inventor, but I most certainly am the modern propagator of it. I think uh, copycat is the highest form of compliment. But does it still irk you every once in a while or no? If we're being honest about our emotions, I agree with you. And I say those words to myself on a regular. But there's for moments years, of I got pissed. where I'm like, for, I'll that. be honest. For years, I got pissed. But you know what? Then I just looked at myself in the mirror and I was like, I'm just fucking ripping off thousands of grandmas before me. Yeah. That's right. all I ever fucking did. All yeah. I ever did was cook, cook cuts of meat that grandmas would cook. Abuelas in Mexico. No yeah. in Italy. Known as in Spain and Portugal. Like, I never did anything new. Yeah. Have we ever really done anything new? I mean, that's a philosophical debate, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, we've tweaked, turk, oh, turn here, turn there, you know, but it's still not new. No. Look at all the stuff now. It literally yeah. looks like nouveau cuisine. Yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure someone's gonna like hark at me on that one, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, let's be honest. It's new yeah. cuisine. It's reinventing itself, and I don't begrudge that because there's parts of it everywhere that is amazing. Yeah. Like, I remember when avocado ice cream came up. Everybody's like, "Oh my god, avocado ice cream, dude!" It's in fucking Larousse Gastronomique. It's not new. <laughs> oh my gosh. Right? Like, yeah, uh, it's been there. What's Parmesan the ice cream. What the fuck is that? Uh, Thomas Jefferson wrote about it. It was served in Monticello's. <laughs> you can calm down. Every kitchen, <laughs> like right yeah. now, what's everybody? Everybody's like in crude pativiers. And yeah. I love all that stuff. I love the classics. I yeah. love the historical wow. stuff. Right? Tortier, yeah. Like, I love like meat pies, like all that stuff. No one's like, like, if you really throw it back, right? If you want to, if we want to do that, right? Yes, I did tons of large format food, right? Big, grandiose, mixing meats and all that stuff. What the yeah. fuck is a cock and thrice? Right. All I did was fucking copy a bunch of chefs trying to show off for a king so they didn't get their head cut off by mixing three animals together. An octopus with a peacock and a pig. <laughs> right? Yeah. Boy, that's amazing. What perspective? It's just, I love what we do because we're forever learning and there's something to be said for going back to the history. That's why I feel, you know, I was a, I'm dyslexic, I'm ADHD, and I hated reading books. Now I've got 3,000 cookbooks surrounding me because all I wanted to do is better myself and look at the history. Yeah. Understand. I haven't met a vintage cookbook I don't want to buy, right? Oh, yeah. Of course. <laughs> right? And there's that saying, you know, Mark Miller was my really true first employer. He is still my mentor and still my friend. And he said to me, understand history before you try to create future. Mm. Yeah, Ferran has a similar quote that's without understanding creativity doesn't exist. And that it, it's those are very similar, right? You know, and I definitely appreciate that ethos. But no, I, I think, you know, so Jonathan, where you are right now, you are almost a year. Yep. And you're in a great headspace. Absolutely. You're making beautiful food at Kidling. You, yeah. you're, you've been on numerous different television shows over the past year, and you're you're finding Jonathan again. I am, and I'm saying no to everything, which is so liberating now, right? <laughs> I mean, it's it's just so nice to, just so nice to be comfortable in your skin and say no my kids are both in high school and i don't want another project right now and i don't need another project right now uh and i'm okay with just being here over this wood fire inside of this building uh i can't tell you where i'll be in seven years or ten years but that doesn't matter because i just need to make today the best version of it i can make and it starts by me looking at myself and making sure that I'm continuing to 
continuing to evolve as a person. And I know the best version of me right now has no alcohol and no Adderall and no cocaine in it. That's for sure. <laughs> I am beyond excited for you. And I'm so proud of you. And I love you to death, man. I love you, man. I, uh, I don't know, you know, when you think about big moments like this, like we're currently in, and I've been thinking about telling people that are outside of my immediate circle that I'm happier without alcohol in my life, right? It, it, uh, I almost chickened out. Let me just cut to it, right? Last night when we were texting each other back and forth, I'm like, I can't fucking do this. I'm going to cancel on Chris again. This is like the third time I've canceled on you. <laughs> like, I knew it nah, would come around. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Uh, but just listening to you and Philip talk and then reminding myself of where you've been in your journey and, and crazy how the times almost match up perfectly for when we were like, I've had enough of this life. I want this life. Right. And, and some of it was said to each other and maybe we didn't even realize how big those evolutions were until we checked back in with each other. But it's, uh, it's so gratifying. I can't, you know, uh, I can't, I can't say it enough how much it's meant to me and how nice it is to be, uh, be free of this sort of, um, I don't know, sort of secret I've been holding in to those that only know me the most. And I'm really excited to tell more people about it and hopefully inspire a couple people to take the best version of their life and grab it. You will. It's amazing. You don't realize how many people you reach when you're open and you're honest. It. Uh, you may never hear it from anyone, but it will happen. And I think it's it's a pretty powerful piece to be able to own it and then to walk through the door. Well, it's a beautiful evolution too, because I can remember a very recent version of myself who just wanted... I wanted the trophies from everybody who was a graduate and from everybody I benefited. You know, I wanted the text message and the phone call thanking me for being me. Right. And now it's no, I, I want to be this version of me because it feels good. And I don't, I don't care if anybody ever tells me that it had a positive impact on their life. Right. Cause I know that it's making me and my family and my wife and those uh, cooks that are around me, uh, I know that's making all of us see the best version of me. And that's really what matters. Yeah. That's right. You want to play a game? Fuck yeah. Does a bear shit in the woods? Always. All right. Coffee or tea? Both. Pancakes, waffles? Pancakes. Bacon or sausage? Oof. Oh, Chris, can we be more specific on the sausage? Are we talking everything from like... We're talking Valentine's breakfast, buddy. We're at breakfast here. Okay, we're at breakfast. Uh, I'm still going to go sausage. Taco burrito. Taco. Chicken duck. I'm going to go chicken, dude. Quail or squab? Oh, squab. Preferably with some buckshot in it still. <laughs> Beef or pork? Beef. Oh, that's one of the few proteins that if you had asked me that a decade ago, I would have been the opposite. I know. Yeah. Hot dog hamburger. Burger. Ketchup mustard. Mustard. Whole grain Dijon. Dijon, right from the tap at the My Tap House in Paris, right outside of Plaza Athene. Oh, just dude. the spicy dude! That is so fucking oh. good. That for those of you who've never been there, it is the shit. You literally fill your own fucking jar, and they seal it for you, so you can take it on the plane. It's so good. Take the pilgrimage right now. Get a ticket. Take oh. the Concord Waxman style. Go get the mustard. Fly back before dinner service at Jams and <laughs> fucking do it. I promise you, you'll thank us later. <laughs> the Shimi Nigiri. 
Negating. Sea urchin caviar. Caviar. Up and down the block. Lobster crab. All crabs? A crab. You said crab singular. I'm going crab. Fuck it. It's gotta be. Pasta noodles. Oh, pasta. Ravioli dumplings. Ravioli. To eat or to make? Wait, hold on. Back up. As an enjoyment. It doesn't matter. It's up to you. It's up Ah. to you. Ravioli still. (laughs) Meatball or sausage? Sausage. Dude, look at these fingers. These (laughs) these fingers are, are 10 sausage links waiting to make more sausage links. They're as meta as it could be. (laughs) okay pizza style i'm gonna go roman i like the i like uh replicability okay a cup or a cone cone sugar or not no sugar no sugar cone Oh, cone? Yeah, what type of cone? Oh, it's got to be a sugar cone. Oh my god, absolutely. I never liked those styrofoam fucking. No, the people love that shit. Here's the best thing about a styrofoam cone: at the very bottom, when the ice cream melts into that little grid, that's the very last bite of the very last bottom of it. It forms this uh, a geometrical ice cream sandwich. That is a good. <laughs> bite inside of that cone that's what it's all about yeah but that's it you literally that's feel it. like you're eating a fucking star uh, like a styrofoam container from fucking the, the grocery store yes digestibility is questionable as you're chewing it you're <laughs> like is this food grade i don't know <laughs> question mark <laughs> okay soft serve or traditional ice cream like American ice cream, or or it could be gelato. It could be yeah. whatever. Yeah, let's go with the uh, let's let's go not soft serve. Not soft serve. Chocolate or fruit? Chocolate. Bitter or milk? Milk. I'm a glutton. Favorite fast food. I'm gonna go Culver's. Is what my mind said. I got to do it. <laughs> they got the fucking tenders. They got the French fries and their burger is underrated. If it's a price uh, versus quality game. Undeniably, there's other better smash burgers brand not to be named friends of ours, of course. But for the price that you pay for a Culver burger, it's, it's, it's tough to beat. All right. Guilty pleasure. Popcorn with almost equal parts butter, salt, and popcorn. <laughs> Home toasted, like cultured European butter, gray salt, and just give me a gallon and a half of it. Oof. Favorite candy? Reese's, all shapes and forms. Peanut wow. butter used to be my middle name. Peanut butter. <laughs> <laughs> Last meal. Boy, this is tough for me because as an alcoholic, my answer used to be uh, uh, Jevy Chambertin. <laughs> so I'm going to go fried chicken and caviar prestige. There you go. Jonathan, I can't thank you enough for taking time today, but also um, literally spilling the beans. Christopher, you've uh, changed my life for the better, and I'm so thankful from that moment I saw you on the television tube to meeting you shortly afterwards that you came into it. And uh, I uh, I just want to thank you for the friendship and for the honesty and and for the inspiration to allow me to be vulnerable, even in just this one little moment here and many more to come. You're an inspiration for way more than you'll ever realize, my friend. Love you, buddy. Thank you. Love you, bud. So folks, if you're in Chicago, you need to go to Kindling. He is pushing the boundaries of fire in the U.S. 
And it's a really, really beautiful restaurant in an iconic location. Can you still go to the top, top floor? Yes. And it is, it's awesome. So there's like a, I don't know, let's say $300 million renovation that started about a decade ago with new elevators, new, new observation decks. Um, but yeah, you can go to the sky deck and you walk out on the glass and you're, you're uh, 95 stories above the river. And I'm not, I'm, I love roller coasters and I love uh, turbulence on planes. And I had a hard time standing out there. I got to be honest with you. You know, the last time I was in that building was when I did Chef's First City with our own Sanchez. We went all the way to the top and we had to eat a deep dish pizza. Oh, friggin' large one. It was a hard way to look out the top from that. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> Is deep dish pizza pizza? No, it's not. It's a pie. It's a pie. And, it's and a meat pie with extra cheese. We're, we're going to get slammed for it. Be careful. <laughs> you live there. They're coming to the door to attack you for that, they are. that comment. I'm not saying I don't like it. I'm just saying, you know, four times a year, I can eat a pound of cheese with bread underneath it. And I'm okay with that. Yes. But <laughs> by the way, for everybody out there who's listening, if you ever want to know the difference, get the vegetable version. It is an actual pound lighter than the meat version. <laughs> I learned that. <laughs> I learned that quickly. So, folks, if you need to uh, follow uh, Chef Sawyer, Jonathan, where can they follow you on Instagram? Chef Sawyer. There you have it, folks. You got it. Thank you. Come, come see me. Thank you, Chris. <laughs>